So welcome back to episode four of Making Sense of Humans at Work. Clive, we're four episodes in already. Time flies. And this week, we're going to look at how to make sense of imposter syndrome, a subject often talked about, not always understood, and I think sometimes applied differently to different age categories, which we can have a little think about later. Thanks Thanks for joining us again on this episode. No problem. I'm looking forward to exploring this topic, especially in light of Christmas coming up and it being a good time to reflect on ourselves, who we are, who we want to be, and potentially who we're pretending to be, which of course ties in with this theme because, you know, you'll know pretending to be somebody else um, because you think you need to for some reason is is stressful and and tiring. And as you touched on in the last episode, it never allows you to really be in balance with yourself. So I think this is a really important subject. I'd be interested in this episode if we can come up with a different title for it. That's my challenge to you. <laughs> and is this about is this about the dads donning the Father Christmas outfit outfit and feeling like imposters? Ah uh, yeah, well Santa, yeah. I haven't asked him. <laughs> yeah. We need but, to be the real thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if my three year old will pick up on the different Santas this year yeah. and and ask any questions about it. She's already told me the one we're seeing on Saturday is not the real one. So <laughs> We shall see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's just in—he's just an imposter. But um, no, I, I do think it's important because anything that touches on our own self-belief is important, isn't it, to us? And I think mm. it impacts everything else. And I, I do think this is a great topic to you know to to end the year on and to really give people time to reflect on going into the new year. So I suppose it would be useful just to start with what is imposter syndrome? Mm. What's your view on that, Clive? It's almost the opposite to authenticity, isn't it? Where we feel, you know, when we are being authentic, we feel totally grounded. Um, and a situation where we feel like we're an imposter is very different to that experience. Um, and it's basically the, the way that the brain copes with an unfamiliar experience. So it's really this conflict in the brain, you know, that's memory-based around you know, this is not where we've been in the past. This is not who I understood I was. Now I'm finding out that I'm something else or I'm being asked to do different things. And that's a bit scary. So it's like a historic voice in our heads. They're saying to us, why are you taking those risks? You know, stay here um, stay where you've always been and uh, you'll be safe. So I think I think it's important in that context, you know, some people can get very phased by this feeling, but it's a completely natural feeling as, as we evolve through our lives. And the starting point to me is all about facing it, as with any sort of fear. It's facing it, and not in a confrontational sense, but understanding it on why it's there, and in particular, acknowledging all it's trying to do is protect you. It's that part of the brain which is saying, why take a risk? But of course, if you don't take a risk and evolve, then you don't grow. So it's like an inner conflict that you have to resolve. And as I said, very different to the feeling where you know you're in the right place and you feel totally grounded and you're just going for it and not worrying about who you are. Does that work as a starting point? Yeah, I do. I think um, that that reference back to how we feel, I think, is really important for me. So um, something I like to get people to do in training is think of an example of when they do have that at ease, at peace feeling in themselves. And then think of a scenario where they don't have that and note the differences. 
because what I've learned to do over time through your excellent coaching, Clive, is um, uh, listen to my body more. Yeah. So I, I almost know when I'm lying to myself yeah. just by listening to my body. So I might be pretending um, consciously that I'm okay in this situation, but my body's telling me something completely different. And I've actually learned to start listening to the body more than what my head's been telling me so that I can figure out why that's happening. So that that listening to our bodies, I think, is really important. And, and aiming for that peaceful, balanced sort of sense of self, I, I just think that surely that's what most people would want anyway. Um, but we don't often get there because of these inner conflicts, like you say. And the other thing I picked up on from what you were saying there is when you describe it like that, I think it's totally natural, isn't it? I, I don't like the term imposter syndrome because it's got such negative connotations. I mean, in employment law, which you know I, I also practice, the word grievance, as soon as you say that to anyone, everyone goes, oh, no, grievance. But actually, it was supposed to be a helpful way of resolving disputes. It was supposed to be a positive thing. And I think imposter syndrome has gone and got itself almost the same negative connotations. Yeah. And actually, what you've just described is a natural self-learning process, if you like, where we can actually improve ourselves by listening to what's going on for us and then doing something about it. I'm just going to say, I think it very much links to, you know, our stage. You mentioned earlier on something about ages, and I think it links to that in a very natural sense, because, you know, in the early parts of our lives, we are told who we are by other people, you know, primarily by our parents. And that may not be intentional. It just may be implicit by the things that they do and the way that they treat us. But from that, we interpret a view of ourselves. Okay. So we tell ourselves we are X, Y, or Z. Now, over time, we're going to find out that those other views that have been, you know, uh, pushed towards us don't actually stand up for us. And in particular, you know, that happens during teenage years when we are meant to sort of challenge parental views about ourselves, you know, and actually come up with our own view of ourselves. But it doesn't end in the teenage years. It, it carries on. And there will be situations in life which take us back to that old memory of ourselves where we were simply working to other people's agendas of us. So it's about us creating our own agenda as, as we go forward and sort of saying, okay, I understand where that's come from and that's okay. This is just, you know, an instinct that is trying to look after me, but it doesn't serve me now because it's actually stopping me from growing. So what I have to do and face it, understand it, say thank you and move on, you know, to think our past has to be about who am I? And when we find those spaces of authenticity, that's huge feedback for us to say, this is exactly where I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? So, you know, what is imposter syndrome? Why is it important? Then also, what do I, what do, I do about it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about what it is. Um, we, we'll come on and have a look at some of the impacts of it in a minute. But what do, what do we do about it? Um, and I think there's two aspects to that from what I can see is what we can do for ourselves and also our environment. And I think what you said about childhood is so important. It's way beyond the scope of what we can talk about today. But, you know, what we've been led to believe we are, I suppose, through our life journey is going to be there, isn't it, ingrained in us. And, yeah. you know, we have to try and change that story if it's not working for us. Yeah. Um, and to do that, you know, like I said, I see that as a two-tier attack, if you like, on ourselves, which is our own responsibility to to develop ourselves, but also a responsibility on the people and 
places in our environment to help. And that's why I think this subject, you know, dovetails into the workplace so much as well, because obviously the workplace is one of those environments where we can be helped through this or we can be hindered mm. through it. And I, I think that also touches on that fear that you talked yeah. about earlier. So fear of what other people think, fear of not living or living up to or being um, where other people think you should be. And an environment's willingness to talk about this subject and to let people explain how, how you know, imposter syndrome is impacting them. Mm. I, th I think there's, uh, you know, the linking um, word on this is self-awareness, I think, because I think a huge part of this is done to ourselves and no other people, nobody else can make us self-aware. But what organizations can do is work through, you know, create spaces whereby it's normal part of business to reflect, reflect on, you know, what you're doing, how you're developing. There's by no means enough of that going on in organizations. It tends to be left to the occasional annual appraisal or development review or things like that, but it, it needs to be a constant conversation. You know, the brain learns by getting feedback at the time that it's just had the experience, right? So it's very important from that point of view that we continue almost like on a daily basis, and I mean daily conversations, but it's that reflective process of, okay, what am I doing? What's the impact I'm creating? So what is the world telling me, you know, about the impact I'm having on them? That's one part of it. Now, the, the internal reflective piece then is like, okay, so you know, I need to acknowledge that I've been telling myself a story, and everyone does, you know, and there's a whole science piece around that, okay? But, you know, our memories are very, very selective. We piece together a story as we look back that suits us now. Now, there's times when that story is going to be child. And the question is that, am I open to that? You know, can I listen to, genuinely listen to the feedback in a way that doesn't feel threatening, but actually look at it as an opportunity to give me better choices about the way I go about things and the impact that I have on people. So you've got this, you know, parallel process, if you like, of internal reflection combined with an organizations that support that as part of an ongoing process of personal growth for their employees. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the biggest challenges to that is that often the people who are forming the environment you've just talked about could be experiencing some of this themselves and are therefore not in the right place to be creating that safety for other people to talk about what's going on for them. I don't know if I explained that very well, but I think what you do is you get yourself into almost like a vicious cycle of yeah, yeah. other people's um, lack of willingness to accept some of these things that are going on for them means that mm. they present in a way that puts other people into a more fearful space to talk about it themselves. Yeah, And then you get the vicious cycle of, of, no, of no support and openness around subjects such as this. So in, a, in an ideal world, I would magic everybody into a state of self-awareness or having self-awareness as top of their agenda for their own development but of course we ne you know we don't get that so i think the second part of what you were saying around taking our own responsibility to develop ourselves is so important and how we take feedback how we listen to what's going on in the environment and use that information helpfully has to be our responsibility because we can't guarantee other people are going to deliver mm. uh, messages in the way that we would find most helpful if, and okay. let's give you, let me give you a legal analogy because that'll probably relate, I think, to it. It's like, 
So my, you know, I've never been a lawyer. Obviously, I've worked with lawyers, et cetera, et cetera, and I've worked with you, right? So my guess is that most people that go into legal firms, you know, as solicitors or whatever, and they're going to be have an expectation placed on them as to how they should behave. And I think it's one of the areas um, which is probably fairly standardized. You know, a solicitor is, this is what a solicitor looks like, and this is how you're expected to behave, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With maybe not a great deal of flexibility around that. Now, the part of the challenge then for the person who's performing that role is, you know, how much of this do I actually believe in? I know what I have to do, but if a lot of that doing isn't a place of authenticity for me, how am I going to handle that? And that may translate as imposter syndrome. You know, I don't believe in this, therefore I shouldn't be here, therefore I'm an incompetent solicitor, which isn't the truth. You know, it often could be that now the way about that I my authentic self goes about being a valuable lawyer is slightly different. And that's what I've got to explore. And of course, that means not only exploring it myself, but also exploring it with the organization. Because you know, you can't run, especially people, knowledge-based people and professions, you can't run them like factories. And I still think there are all the hands from that sort of thinking in many professional services worlds. You know, this is what it looks like. To fit the model, the business model, you have to be one of these. And I think that's highly suspect. And what's the proof of that? Well, we know about all the stress and well-being issues in many professional services areas. Yeah, I think that's um, absolutely right. Even to the extent that everyone dressed the same for a long time, I think that's yes. that's, uh, that's yeah. relaxed a bit now. But you're right. I mean, you know, I, I am a lawyer, and if you look generally at the way lawyers write, speak, behave, they are similar. Yeah. Save for a few exceptions, and people almost aspire to be that normal, mm. as opposed to to be themselves, uh, which is one of the reasons I. I'm a self-employed consultant rather than a mainstream um, employed lawyer because I want to be myself and express my legal work in the way I think is best, mm. um, not in conformity with more general rules. But you, but you see it all the time. Um, I'm going to interrupt, actually, while you say that, Vic, because I think I've seen in you, you to start to reconnect with legal practice again, you know, through creating this extra freedom for yourself, it's like you've rediscovered what you liked about it in the first place, you know, and it's a classic example, you know, you're enjoying that again, rather than the world where you had to do it a certain way, and clearly you weren't happy with that. No, you're absolutely right. I'm far more myself as a lawyer now than I was before, and hence I'm happier as a lawyer now, and I'm far less afraid. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, I am not afraid to say, I don't know this, or can yeah. you help me with this? Whereas yes. I would have been, I would have been yeah. before. I've yes. also learned to be much um, better at selecting who I surround myself with. Yeah. So that we can operate as teams. And, you know, teamwork is another topic for another day. But law firms and teams, in the true sense, is something I think really needs to be explored um, in further. In other work. words, is there such a thing? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I work across two worlds, trading and legal. And I tell the lawyers this as well. I say, you know, in the trading world, there are teams. Everybody helps each other without question and without any any you know, reason not to. You know, if you ask for help, you just get it. In the legal world, one, people are reluctant to ask for help because it might look like you don't know something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and secondly, if you do ask for help, you'll be asked what file number to put it on. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so you can't freely just go and get that support and guidance. As a general rule, of course, there are exceptions. But it is a very important to the topic we're, we're considering because it's all the things that lead to that sense of imposter syndrome. If I can't get help and develop, how am I going to be the person I need to be in this role? Yeah. Um, if there's no one I can go to to talk to when I'm stuck, how am I going to know that I'm where I'm meant to be? Another consequence of that is, you know, when you're more relaxed in yourself, you're more open to relationships. And, and I, you are having no problem in attracting work, right? And, you know, that is because, of partly because, that you can be yourself and it allows room for the relationship to develop, you know, with potential clients. So it's much more relationship driven rather than being professionally driven, which is a far more rational or transactional type exchange. Mm. You know, so again, to me, it's a natural way that the profession itself needs to evolve, especially, you know, and this is another subject, especially in the world of AI, where more and more legal knowledge will be captured by AI technology. And what will matter the most is the connection with the client, not not the um, access to knowledge. Yeah, I agree. And I know we, we've sort of segued into the legal world a little bit here, but I think it applies to all, all professions and, you know, anywhere where someone feels like they don't know enough or they're not yeah. good enough um, or someone has higher expectations of them than they can deliver and how that impacts them. So it's a big subject. I suppose one thing I'd like to draw out before we finish this podcast, well, two things is, one is what is the impact of ignoring this, you know, pretending this isn't happening for you? Because I think they're quite serious in some cases. Mm. And the second thing is what, you know, sort of practical steps can people start thinking about in order to address to address this for themselves confidently and without fear? Yeah, okay. So I think the first thing is um, the impact, as you say, it can be a, a little niggle. Or it can be something more serious, and you know, extreme version of imposter syndrome is you know multiple personality disorder, where you know people's inner voices actually take on take on personalities of their own, and then obviously you're into a, a much deeper problem area, right? So the thing is, again, is is, is not to avoid it because avoid it means running away from it, and running away is always that picture of you know what's behind your back. You're running, you're going up a dark alleyway, and there's somebody running after you. That is not a comfortable feeling, okay? So you have to stop and recognize it is only your own instinct, your own shadow, if you like, and it's then a way of dealing with it. But but I think an additional problem here is this whole area of badges. You know, you touched on it earlier on where we've created this badge called imposter syndrome. And it's like people, when they adopt that too rigidly towards themselves, it's almost like they, they're saying they've got something wrong with them, you know. So, you know, there must be something wrong with me. I've got imposter syndrome. But that's completely wrong. You know, don't give it a life of its own because it doesn't really have one. You've created it and you have the opportunity to take power away from it. Again, by you know, addressing it, not by running away from it or being angry with it. So it's like, look, this is my creation. That's the acknowledgement. It's not something that somebody else has caused you to have. You know, it's just a result of your life experiences, largely embedded in, you know, the influences of, of your early life. So I think it's it's very much a case then, which comes on to your second point, is just understand it, you know, sit easy with it, accept that it's trying to look after you, and just reassure it, like any, you know, worried voice on your behalf, like maybe, if, you know, your, your parents or something like that, and you're just saying to them, it's okay, 
I've got this. But actually what you're doing is reassuring yourself. Yeah, I liked what you said about creating your own agenda. Mm. Create your own agenda, you know, develop your own self-belief. And to, and for me, it's develop those pathways that allow you to move along that development journey that aren't going to hinder you, but are going to help you. And that might mean surrounding yourself by different people. That might mean undertaking self-awareness exercises that help you to, to you know, get to the bottom of your own self-belief. It might be learning and development. You know, this doesn't mean that everyone knows everything they need to know. There may be development you need to undertake in order to get to where you want to be. It just means that we understand that we can put it in context and we're not going to create all of those negative impacts on ourselves um, that ultimately harm us in some way. I think it's a big subject, Clive. I think we've probably done what we can with it for today. Hey, yeah, have a couple of title though, so you failed in that respect. I don't want that. That'll just be another badge. You see? Yeah, that's true. Okay, right. Well, uh, we'll we'll leave it with imposter syndrome then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, as we always say on on these podcasts, if anyone's got anything they would like us to discuss, please let us know. If there's anything we've spoken about today that you want more information on, obviously please get in touch. And the details are in the podcast uh, narrative. And we will, as always, look forward to coming back and recording episode five for the new year. Thanks very much, Clive. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.